You're listening to Dragon Ore, book three of the Dawning of Power trilogy, written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information, maps, and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Chapter 14 Our weather is controlled by the ocean currents. Should they ever falter, all will lament. Sister Megan, Cthurin Monk. Coming awake with a start, Catrin sat up in her hammock, her head spinning. She wiped the sweat-soaked hair away from her face. The door opened and daylight streamed in. It's good to see you awake, Osborne said as he closed the door. I brought you some broth. Thank you. How long did I sleep? Not that long. Since last night. You look horrible. Thanks, Katrin said before sipping the broth. Brother Vaughn wanted me to report back on your condition. You rest. The broth was weak, almost tasteless, but it warmed Katrin's belly. After a yawn and stretch, she climbed from the hammock. Her legs were unsteady, and she leaned on the door a moment before opening it. Cool sea air greeted her, and she breathed in deeply, taking strength from it. The decks were near empty. By the sound of things, most were below decks making repairs. Brother Vaughn and Osborne emerged from the hold and walked toward Katrin as soon as they saw her. Back to bed with you, Brother Vaughn said, holding his ribs and sounding like a scolding father. Osborne walked with a severe limp. The ship needs repairs, and everyone is needed, Katrin said. You'll be of no use to us if you drop from exhaustion, not to mention the loss of blood. Your wounds are healing exceedingly well, but you still need to rest. I will, but first I need to know what dangers we still face. Things have improved a great deal, Brother Vaughn said. The dragons have driven off the Golgi and the crew has been able to make many of the needed repairs. There are men on shore now gathering materials to make additional repairs. The dragons are still here? Katrin asked. Only your dragon remains, Brother Vaughn said. He's kept a vigilant watch, and there have been no more attacks. Kyrian? Where is he? Katrin asked, and Brother Vaughn pointed. High above, resting on an outcropping of rock, Kyrian sunned himself. Somehow sensing Katrin's gaze, he extended his serpentine neck and looked back at her. Then he gave a triumphant call. Moments later, he leaped from the rocks and soared above the slippery eel. You see, Brother Vaughn said, we are well protected. Now back in you go. Captivated by the sight of Kyrian soaring majestically on the thermals, Katrin was held in thrall, but she allowed Brother Vaughn to escort her back to her cabin. Once inside, she realized he was correct about her condition. The short walk had left her winded, and she collapsed back into the hammock, her dreams filled with wings and green-flecked golden eyes. Oh. 
Master Baron walked in silence, his mind consumed with the dilemma he faced. Master Edling wanted him to convince the others to declare everyone north of the Wall a traitor, but Master Baron disagreed. Only the threat of poison in his food or a knife in his ribs kept him from siding with the others. Through the halls of the Master House, he walked, taking corridors he rarely used just to delay his audience with Master Edling. When his legs began to ache and he had still come to no solutions, he gave up hope. As he walked into Master Edling's apartments, he was a beaten man. I'm sorry, sir, he said. I cannot convince the others. They still care for their countrymen, and they fear the wrath of the Herald. I told you I would attend to the Herald myself. I believe you, but they don't believe me. They cannot understand that you have the power to protect us from her. Come then, Master Edling said, his robes gliding across the floor as he led Master Baron from his apartments. I'll show you how I will defeat the Herald. Then you can convince the others. If you don't do it, I will. I'm certain it would be better for them if you made them believe. My methods might be slightly less gentle. Master Baron cringed. Master Jarvis had always been a good friend to him. He was kind and honest. The same could not be said for Master Edling. But still Baron struggled against his own fears. Should he flee? Should he too go north of the wall? Would they even accept him there? His thoughts were interrupted when Master Edling made an unfamiliar turn. Isn't this a servant passage? Keep quiet or I'll silence you myself. Master Baron closed his mouth and allowed Master Edling to leave. After three more turns, which Baron committed to memory, Master Edling stopped. He turned his back to Baron and in some unseen way triggered a doorway to open. Get in there! Baron walked into the darkness, not knowing what to expect. Master Edling closed the door before lighting his lamp. Beyond two short halls, they came to a room filled with treasures of all varieties. Master Edling walked straight to an oddly shaped metallic rock, which rested on a supple piece of red cloth. A gift from the gods! Master Edling said, his eyes full of fervor. Dropped from the sky, it was delivered to us hundreds of years ago. The gods have blessed us. We will prevail over the herald. I'll show you the scriptures. Master Baron looked at the strange stone, wondering if a weapon from the gods would be so formless. But as he looked at it, he saw magical symmetry and graceful lines all over it. What had first looked like big hulls, under a watchful eye, were each a work of art. It looked as if the winds of a billion years had scoured the rock's surface into patterns. Then he read the scripture. In the hands of the righteous, the sky stone will capture the power of the mighty one. I'll take her power and use it as my own. I'll bring true power back to the masterhood, Master Edling said. Oh.
We've made the best repairs possible with the materials available to us, sir, Bryn said. There's not much more we can do. We've stopped all the leaks, and we have additional pitch ready should we need to patch any new leaks. Your crew has done well, Nora said with a firm nod. Thank you, mother, Kenward said. A better crew I could not ask for. On that, we agree, she said. Bryn flushed, embarrassed by the compliment. Katrin stood at the gunwales, her strength returning. Given her leisure while she recovered, she spent most of her time watching Kyrian and his kin. Though Kyrian kept constant vigil, other dragons occasionally joined him, and their synchronized acrobatics drew more than just Katrin's eyes. Such fearsome beauty, Nora said as she joined Katrin. I can't make myself look away. You've an attachment to Kyrian. That much is clear. He seems a noble and loyal beast to protect us in such a way. I would never have guessed such a thing would happen. They are more intelligent than I would have thought possible, Katrin said. Kyrian and another spoke in my mind. They spoke not in words, but in images and emotion. They asked me to save Kyrian from Belegra, and I suppose they are repaying the debt. Whatever the reason, Brother Vaughn said, they have saved us all. I've always loved flying creatures, but these dragons are beyond my wildest expectations. None are as large as the skeleton found in Falk, but they are undeniably beautiful. Their ability to communicate makes them even more remarkable. For a while, they simply watched as Kyrian and two other dragons danced in the skies. Much of the crew stopped to watch as others joined the dance. Like a flock of birds, the dragons moved in unison, as if of a single mind, changing directions so dramatically that it was a wonder none collided. We're ready to raise our anchors and set sail, Kenward said. We've only to fill the hold with fish before we are ready to leave this place. I assume we are to travel back to the Godfist? Yes, Katrin said. I'm ready to go home. I suppose the safest route will be to go back the way we came. There may be a shorter route to the Godfist, but we've no way of knowing. Belegra had a map. Turning at the sound of Prios's voice in her mind... Katrin looked for him. It took a moment before she found him reclining in the shadows. Remembering Belegra's books, Katrin turned back to Kenward. I think we have a map. What? he asked, clearly excited. Few things seemed to excite sailors more than maps and charts. Before we left the mountain hall, Katrin said, we took some books from Belegra's quarters. I had completely forgotten, but I think we should look there first. After retrieving her pack, she rummaged through and found the leather-bound tomes. Holding the first in her hand, she was loath to open it, but she remembered Prios's words. The books are not evil. Running her fingers over the unadorned leather binding, she made herself open it. The pages were of finer quality than any Katrin had ever seen before, and the text had been meticulously scribed. Much of what she saw seemed to be equations and formulas, 
and after leafing through the pages, she set it aside. When she opened the second volume, she immediately found what she was looking for. Canward, Nora, and the others stood by, waiting with undisguised anticipation. Folded in half was a finely woven canvas with a colorful map painted on it. The crease down the center had damaged parts of the map, but it was otherwise whole. Canward drew a sharp intake of breath when she handed it to him. "'By the gods!' he said. "'It's all here! The Firstland, the Greatland, the Godfist, all of it! And look, here, there are at least three chains of islands I've never seen or heard of! What a treasure!' "'Taking this route,' Nora said, "'we could make it back in half the time!' Katrin looked at the map, trying to figure out why the thought of taking a different route made her stomach hurt. The map gave no indications of any danger save a large expanse of open water, but something told her emphatically not to go that way. She was torn. Can you think of any dangers that we would face taking the direct route? There are always dangers, Nora said, and she pointed to a place on the map. Most of these waters are unfamiliar to me, but there are some parts I have traveled. The biggest danger I think we would face are storms, and we could run into those anywhere. Still, Katrin could not shake the feeling, and she decided to give her instincts credence. Something is telling me not to go that way. I cannot explain it, and I can find no reason to support it, yet I feel compelled to heed it. Sometimes we must listen to our instincts, Kenward said especially when they contradict the most likely course. Given your magic, I would be inclined to follow your gut. In my younger days, I would have taken the shortest route no matter what you said, but now I have seen too much, and I find myself given to caution. It's certainly taken long enough to beat some caution into you, fool boy, Nora said, but her eyes shone with pride. Are you certain about this? Chase asked as he forced himself into the cramped cabin, trying to get a better look at the map. I don't want to spend another year at sea if we don't have to. I can't tell you why, Chase, but I feel very strongly about this. I have no desire to prolong the journey home, but the thought of going back any way but the way we came makes me ill. It's decided then, Kenward said with a sigh. I'll have to save exploring those waters for another journey. Under Kyrian's watchful eye, they fished until the slippery eel sat heavy in the water. As Kenward set a course for the keys of Terhilion, Katrin stood at the stern, watching Kyrian. As the firstland faded in the distance, two other dragons joined Kyrian. They escorted the ship to deep water, but as the sun began to sink below the horizon, the other two dragons refused to go any farther. Circling, they called out to Kyrian, and he seemed torn. After several long and tense moments, the other dragons turned on their wingtips and soared back to the firstland. Katrin watched, also torn. Part of her wanted Kyrian to come with her, to be a part of her life, but she wondered what kind of life he could have without other dragons. 
In the end, she knew she needed to do what was best for Kyrian. Opening herself to a trickle of power, she did her best to communicate with him, using only her mind. Go. Be free. Live well. His only response was a mournful call. Then, after diving down and soaring low over the deck, he flew after his brethren, back to his home. Katrin watched with tears in her eyes, hoping he would live a happy life. Though she had known him only a short time, she left the Firstland with what felt like a gaping hole in her heart. Prios joined her and seemed to share her sadness. I will miss him too. I was responsible for delivering him to Belegra, which is something I may never be able to forgive myself for. Yet somehow he found it in his heart to do just that. I always thought he hated me. He could have let Chase kill me, or he could have killed me himself. But he did not. I cannot say I understand it, but I will forever be in his debt. Perhaps someday you'll get the chance to repay that debt, Katrin said. I don't see how I ever could, but I suppose it's possible. No one can say what the future will hold. In the following weeks, Katrin spent much of her time with Brother Vaughn. Together, they learned everything they could from Belegra's books. One volume was about the physical laws of her world. It was this tome that was filled with equations, most of which only made Katrin's head hurt, and she doubted she would ever find any of it useful. Brother Vaughn had little more success, and they set that book aside. The second tome seemed of little use at first, since it contained descriptions of mythical creatures, from harpies to bear bulls, most of which neither Katrin nor Brother Vaughn believed existed. When Brother Vaughn flipped to the section that described dryads, though, Katrin became intrigued, especially since much of what it said rang of truth. I thought of those other creatures as merely fairy tales. But I know dryads exist. Could these other creatures really have once existed? I suppose it's possible, Brother Vaughn said. Let's see what other creatures are described. Turning the pages carefully, he passed a section describing giant birds called furlons, and another on glowing sea serpents known as god hares. It was when he reached the section on dragons that he drew a sharp breath. He read aloud, Of dragons there are three types, verdant, feral, and regent. Verdants are most common and are by far the largest dragon species. Despite their size and power, they are docile and easily tamed. All verdant dragons have mottled bluish-gray coloring. Feral dragons, as black as night, are as ferocious as their name would imply. Generally, ferals are solitary creatures that only congregate during the mating season, but there have been incidents recorded where groups of ferals have attacked verdants who intruded on their territory. Regent dragons are the most rare and intriguing species. Regents seem to live more like ants than dragons 
that is to say, they live in colonies and have specialized roles. Each colony has but one female, the queen. There are many types of regent males. Warrior, protector, hunter, and nurturer are but a few. So, Kyrian is a regent dragon? Katrin asked. I would say he fits the description, and the skeleton found in Falk would have to have been a verdant. Seeing a vision of skies filled with all three types of dragons, Katrin felt a chill run down her spine. The thought was thrilling and terrifying. Regent dragons have other remarkable qualities, Brother Vaughn continued. The ability to change the color of their skin to blend in with their surroundings is among the most formidable trait. Regents are so skilled in camouflage that they can become nearly invisible in almost any environment. It is their innate ability to transform Noonstone into dragon ore, though, that makes these creatures the most highly sought after. Pulling Belegra's dragon ore from her pocket, Katrin held it up. It caught the light and cast it about in disorganized fashion, which detracted from its beauty. So that was why Belegra wanted Kyrian, she said. For this. It would appear so. Nothing could be worth the torture Belegra inflicted upon Kyrian. She was tempted to cast the stone into the sea, but Katrin came to see that even though the way the stone was created was evil, the stone itself was not. She began to view it as a gift from Kyrian, a piece of him that she could take with her. It became a cherished treasure. The book gave few more details, and they set it aside. The third volume gave Katrin chills, for it told of ways to enslave the mind of another. Chilled by the gruesome and cruel techniques described in painful detail, Katrin decided this book truly was evil. This is knowledge that no one should have. I think we should burn it. Brother Vaughn seemed appalled by the idea of burning a book at first, but as he looked through the rest of the book, he came to agree. There was no joy in the act, but Katrin felt a little safer, knowing it was gone. With any luck, those skills would be lost forever. Katrin's thoughts turned to all that had been lost, and tears gathered in her eyes. When one fell to the floor, Brother Vaughn looked up. Will you tell me what's bothering you? He asked. I just feel so alone, she said. It's not that you and everyone on the ship are... It's just... I miss them too, Brother Vaughn said, and Katrin let her emotion flow. May I share something with you? Please do, Katrin said with a sniffle. What is there between us right now? What's separating you and me? Nothing, I guess, Katrin said. Nothing. Really. In the silence that followed, Katrin tried to understand his meaning, but then something occurred to her. Air? Air indeed, Brother Vaughn said. Now I want you to step away from everything for a moment, including the air. Katrin smiled, knowing it was impossible. I suppose I could submerge myself in water. Not for long, 
But the point is that you and I are parts of the same system. We are parts of the world, and we cannot separate ourselves from it. Everything I do influences you, and everything you do influences everyone and everything else. Do you understand? I think so, Catherine said. Since we are part of this enormous system, we are always connected and can never truly be alone. And even when we seem to depart from this world, our energy remains. In this sense, we are one and we are eternal. His words gave Katrin solace, and she turned her thoughts back to anything that could help her in the future. Again she looked at the dragon ore she held. So precious and so very rare, she was afraid she would drop it and shatter it into tiny pieces. Oddly shaped, it felt clumsy in her hands. The stones in her staff had been masterfully cut, their symmetry somehow balancing them. Then she remembered Imitary's fish. It had been such a simple carving, yet it, too, had symmetry and balance. Do you think the shape of the dragon ore could enhance its effects? She asked. The thought never occurred to me, Brother Vaughn said. But I suppose it's possible. Do you have reason to believe it could? The stones Mother Gwendolyn gave me have been carefully cut where Imitary's fish was just a simple carving. The one thing they have in common is that one side seems to balance the other. When I hold Belegra's stone, it feels unstable, out of balance. Perhaps you should have a gem cutter cut it for you. Or you could carve it yourself. You did say that Imitary's fish was only a rough carving. Surely you could do just as well. Katrin turned the translucent stone in her hands, and as she looked at it, a simple but elegant shape became apparent to her, the shape the stone wanted to become. It was as if all she had to do was peel away the husk that shrouded the stone's true form. Could I be so bold as to try to carve it myself? I've no skill for art or carving. I might destroy it. I suppose you must follow your heart. Cradled in her hammock, Katrin closed her eyes. As had become a bit of a ritual, Prios chose this time to spend with her. Though walls separated them, it was as if he were sitting beside her. Is it not difficult for you to talk to me without touching me? she asked aloud, despite the fact that she had only to think of saying it to him for him to hear. You could come in here while we talk, if you'd like. There is a bond between us that I do not understand. I believe I could speak with you over almost any distance without the slightest strain. It is something I share with no one else. Perhaps it is your abilities, but I wonder if it isn't something else." Katrin let his unspoken question go unanswered, afraid of things she was not yet prepared to face. Grateful that he could not read her thoughts unless they were directed to him, she changed the subject. Do you think I should try to carve the dragon ore? I'm afraid I'll only destroy it. I know nothing of the properties of dragon ore, but I, too, sense its flaws, despite its purity. 
When I look at nature, I see varied shapes and forms of life, yet those forms are not chaotic or random, as the shape of Belegra's dragon ore seems to be. My instincts tell me that giving it orderly shape and form will give it new life. I cannot be certain, and there is the risk that you will destroy it, so I am hesitant to give counsel. It would be so much easier if someone would just tell me what I'm supposed to do, Katrin said. I've lived my life doing what others have told me to do. While not being responsible for my own destiny may have been easier, I certainly would not say it was better. You make a good point, Katrin conceded. I suppose I'll just have to stop my whining and get on with it. She could almost hear Prios chuckle. As the sun rose above the sea, the lookout called out, Land! His call drew everyone to the deck. Having seen nothing but waves for months, it was a thrill to see land, even if they would only pass it by. When they neared the Terhillian lovers, the sun cast a ruddy glow, and there, perched upon the man's outstretched arm, waited Kyrian. Glimmering like a jewel, he spread his wings and extended his tail. Dropping his head down, he wove back and forth hypnotically. No one spoke, and Katrin was held in thrall, not wanting to move or speak for fear he would fly away but he just watched them as they slid past. Not long before he would have been lost from sight, he slipped from his perch, spread his wings only part of the way, and slammed into the water. Watching for him to emerge, Katrin waited at the gunwales for most of the day, but he did not show himself. She was left to wonder if his presence was but a final farewell. "'He's a remarkable beast,' Yarkirian, Nora said as she walked to Katrin's side. I had hoped to see him again, but I think he's gone. With such a rare and mystical creature, I don't suppose you'll ever know what to expect. In the light of her cabin, Katrin prepared herself. Before her was the dragon oar and the sharpest knife she could find. To the side sat a leather bag she would use to collect the chips and shards, each one precious. Taking a deep breath, she picked up the knife before she lost her nerve. Using only light pressure, she pulled the knife against the stone. Not even a scratch was made in the glossy surface. Trying again, she used greater force, but achieved no greater effect. Brother Vaughn watched with anticipation. Apply your will, he said. Opening herself to a trickle of energy, she tried to keep the torrent from pulling her away. Despite greater understanding, her power remained difficult to moderate, and a bead of sweat formed on her brow. Directing her energy along the fine edge of the knife, she pulled it toward her and blade parted stone. A tiny shard separated from the dragon oar and sat perched atop the gleaming knife. Well done, Brother Vaughn said. Now do it again. Oh. 
When we get back, Osborne said, I'm going to eat for a week. Ham, bacon, sausage, anything but fish. Bread and apple butter, Strom said. A big juicy steak with potatoes, Chase added. Slices of pepper sausage with chunks of smoked cheese, Kenward said from behind them, and they all turned. Aye, a seafarer I may be, but I've a love for land food. Do you think we'll ever make it back home? Osborne asked. We'll make it, Kenward said, and when we do, the first meal is on me. I'm going to hold you to that, Strom said. You've all earned it. I've spent most of my life at sea, and I can think of no passengers I'd rather have on my ship. Hopefully, you'll find some reason to take to the seas again some day. So there's no chance you'll stay on the Godfist? Strom asked. Not for long, Kenward said. I tried it once, but life on land didn't suit me. All those invisible lines that divide one man's space from another's were beyond my understanding. The sea is the sea. No one can claim it or take it away from me. In a way, Osborne could see his point, but it did nothing to dampen his longing for home. To feel the grass between his toes or run through the forest would be glorious indeed. Things that had seemed mundane even boring in his old life, now had new meaning, new significance. If ever they make it home, he thought, his life would be forever changed, and he would no longer take for granted the things he now knew he loved the most. After finishing their meal in silence, they dispersed, each having tasks waiting. It seemed on a ship the work was never done. If we run full sail, Kenward said, we could make the shallows just before the full moon. We need to fish while on this side of the shallows, Nora said. Or have you forgotten the sharks? Your ship is in no condition to face any foe, let alone make full speed. It would be wisest to take it slowly and fish while we wait out the cycle of the moon. Pacing the deck, Kenward struggled. Why must his instincts always push him to do the exact opposite of what his mother suggested? He valued her counsel, no matter what she thought, but he had learned to follow his gut. We can't sail the shallows with a full hold, and we'll have to fish on the other side either way. Raise full sail, he said. Nora made an annoyed sound in her throat and walked away. She doesn't look happy. Chase said as he approached. Kenward just shrugged. I have that effect on her. Wiping the sweat from her eyes, Katrin squinted, trying to figure out the best way to make the final cut. Before her was the physical manifestation of the image she had seen in her mind. Despite her rudimentary carving skills, it was, in its own way, beautiful. Turning the tip of her blade carefully under a delicate section, she trimmed away a tiny sliver. Though she nearly cut herself when someone shouted, Shallows ahead! 
After carefully placing the sliver in her now nearly full bag, Katrin went to the gunwales, secretly hoping to find Kyrian waiting for her. Get the gear ready. We fish, Kenward said, and the crew scrambled. Despite their efforts, the fish simply weren't biting, and they caught only a few small sharks. As the light began to fade, the frustration was palpable. We need to catch enough fish to feed us for a while. I didn't want to fill the hold, but I don't want to starve either. If we don't catch something soon, we're going to have to wait another moon before we cross the shallows. Aye, Nora said. Nothing to be done for it but to keep trying. Fins to port, sir, called the lookout. Glossy fins parted the water, tossing a wake on each side as they came. Then, as if they understood the fear it would instill, they slipped beneath the dark water. Katrin tried to prepare herself for an impact, but not knowing exactly when it would come made it nearly impossible. When the sharks did hit the ship, it felt as if all of them hit it at once, and the slippery eel rolled to one side before slowly righting herself. "'Pull in the trawl tubs!' Kenward ordered. "'As soon as they are in, we raise full sail and make for the shallows. Prepare yourselves!' In a frenzy of activity, the crew readied the ship to come about, but the men retrieving the trawl tubs cursed. They had caught something— and whatever it was, it was big. Now the fish decide to bite, Strom said as he helped the men struggle to turn the windlass. Sir, some of our repairs have been knocked loose. We're taking on water, Bryn reported. Lock the windlass, Kenward said. Then, with a single stroke of his belt knife across the tensioned rope, he cut the trawl away. Full sail! Now! The slippery eel thrummed as the sharks slammed against the hull again, and the crew needed little urging to make speed. Katrin clung to the railing, a sick feeling in her stomach. The sharks seemed determined to sink them, and she knew that, in the water, they would make an easy meal. Though the moon was nearly full, a thick covering of clouds blanketed the skies, and the shallows were barely visible. Sailing full speed into those waters seemed itself suicide, but that was assuming the sharks didn't get them first. There's someone in the shallows, sir! Light ahead! That concludes this episode of Dragon Ore. Thank you for listening. For news and the latest releases, visit patioracket.com.